The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. So as we come to our time of pastoral prayer, since it's Independence Day Eve, let's pray for our country. Um, pray for America. And if you're not an American, pray for America too, because what we do in America seems to affect a whole lot of the world. Sometimes greatly, and sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Sometimes our politicians do things, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. So pray for our president, Joe Biden, whether you love him or hate him, pray for him. If you think he's doing a great job, pray for him. You think he's doing a lousy job, pray for him. Pray for our Supreme Court. Do you think they're making wise and godly decisions? Pray and rejoice God. If you think they're making foolish decisions, pray for them. Pray for our legislature as they make laws and pass laws or don't pass laws or whatever they do. Pray for them. If you know the names of the committees and subcommittees that are doing things that you care about, pray for them. Pray for them by name. And I say that, and I'm going up here, and I, my mind has went blank on the names of um, our, our senators in our state. But pray for them. Pray for our state, the state of Missouri, our governor, our, our courts, our legislature. Pray for our county commissioners. There's an election coming up next month. We're electing new commissioners. They've got a new county constitution. So we're going to have more county commissioners this time. Pray for that. Pray for our city. If you live in Kansas City or not, pray for Kansas City. If you live in one of the surrounding cities, pray for them too. We read through scripture that God is sovereign. He is the king of kings. That means he's the president of presidents, the judge of all judges, the legislature above all legislatures. And so pray that God's will be done. And if you're watching this online and you live in another country, pray for your country too. So we've got reports that people are watching from other countries in Asia, and we pray for them, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Yes, we're praying again. Brian just prayed. We prayed earlier when we read the scripture. We prayed at the beginning of the service. We're going to pray at the end of the service. Why? Because that's worshiping God, which is why we're here. So let's pray. Lord God, we just come to you now on this weekend where we celebrate the birthday of the United States of America, Lord. We just pray for our country, Lord, that it will continue to turn to you. It will turn to you again. It will stop turning to you. And for the parts that have quit turning to you, I pray that they will repent and turn to you. We pray for our president, Joe Biden. We pray for him that he will have godly wisdom, whether he's seeking you or not, that he will, his decisions will be your decisions. 
whether he knows it or not. And we pray the same for the Supreme Court as they make court rulings that affect all of, that affect people in our lives and maybe us personally. Lord, we pray for our legislatures as they make laws and pass laws and vote down laws that you give them godly wisdom, that your will be done through them. And just help us as we live in this land to turn to you for everything and realize that government is not always the answer, that we can turn to you. Governments come and go. Politicians come and go. Laws come and go. But your word is eternal. And help us to turn to you in all things. We pray all this, and we pray all this in Jesus Christ, holy and precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Well, this, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. But have you heard the quote, America is great because she is good, and if she ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. You've probably heard that quote a time or two. Three different American presidents have used it. President Eisenhower was the first to use it, and he was wise enough to say, some wise person said it. Reagan and Clinton both have said it too. And they attributed a Frenchman named Alex de Tocqueville, I think, and a book called Democracy in America. It was published in 1835. It was credit to him. However, if you read that book, you will not find that quote. It's not there. And so I went to Snoop's, and I looked at some other places, but Snoop's had the most research. There was a guy, an evangelist, wrote a book in 1941. His name was Sherwood Eddy, and he claimed that Tocqueville said that quote, except it was quoted a little bit differently. Apparently, Eisenhower's speechwriter tweaked it a little bit. Um, but he said that, Tocqueville, but he didn't cite his source. And obviously, it's not there. So, so he, his biographer said, well, he does a lot of things from memory, so he probably got it confused. Um, and we can't ask him anymore. Uh, Sherwood Eddy, he died in 1963. But going back through, they found a book from two British ministers. In 1834, they came to America. Their names are Andrew Reed and Jane Matheson. You've probably never heard of them. I've never heard of them before. They came to America to promote friendship with American churches. And after their travels, they wrote a book. And in their book, they said this. This is the quote in their book. America will be great. I'm sorry. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. So that quote, if it's original with them, got tweaked around because there, there are some other places that you get a similar quote throughout the 1800s and early 1900s. It got tweaked around. But the story, it's about the same thing. Without God, America is just another temporary country in this world. It's just another temporary. Because how many countries have come and gone just in our lifetime? You have a world map, it's wrong. You have a globe, it's wrong. No matter what year, because countries keep changing. Borders change, countries change their name, um, countries come and go. 
So what is a patriot? Have you gladly waved an American flag any time in your life? Probably, at a parade, some event. Have you saluted, whether over your heart salute or a nice snappy military salute while the national anthem is played? Have you proudly recited the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag? Have you ever worn any clothing that resembles the American flag? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wrote that before I, you came in. But I figured somebody would here. That's okay. Patriotism is fine as long as you understand it, its place in the kingdom of heaven. The city of Philippi, we're going to be at the, in the book of Philippians today. In the city of Philippi, they understood patriotism. It was, a, it was a city of Roman citizens in what's now present-day Greece. Many of them became Roman citizens because of military service. Many people who lived in the Roman Empire were not Roman citizens. So to have Roman citizenship was a, was a badge of honor. And most of the city of Philippi, they were proud of the Roman citizenship. You know, they were like the red, white, and blue Americans today. That's how proud they were of their citizenship of, in Rome and Philippi. But earthly citizenship has its limits. You know, am, am, am I a patriot? My ancestors came to America for religious freedom. They were persecuted in Germany and Switzerland because they were Anabaptists, and they were persecuted by Reformists and by, and by Lutherans and by Catholics. When I say persecuted, they were killed. They came to America for religious freedom. I was born an American. With, my parents were born American. I've served in the U.S. Army the past 17 years. I've deployed three times. They've given me eight medals for, because they said I've done a good job. But what does it matter if someday, somehow, America ceases to exist? What does it matter after 10,000 years in heaven? Paul even mentions his patriotism. In, in, chapter th in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says... You know, I've, I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, and as of the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And according to the law, he was found blameless. He was a patriot of Israel, and he was a Roman citizen. And he wasn't afraid to tell people that when it was necessary. If you read through the book of Acts, he tells people he was a Roman citizen. He uses that fact to proclaim the gospel. But what does it matter after 10,000 years, Jesus said over and over, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So today we're going to look at three realities that matter for those living as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Three realities for, that matter for those living as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to read our main scripture today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So if, you, if you're able to stand, stand as we read Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we 
eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you today as we come to you and read your word and study your word for a few minutes this morning. That as citizens of heaven, we can come to your, and worship at your throne. We just pray all this in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're looking at these three realities. And the first reality is this. Living in the kingdom of heaven begins now. Living in the kingdom of heaven begins now. Where do you get that? Well, Jesus said over and over, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it is near. And then he told you how to live in the kingdom of heaven. But we're just going to look at the book of Philippians today. So in Philippians, so get your flipping skills. You're going to go flip the one or two pages back and forth through the book of Philippians this morning. We're going to look at different passages through the book of Philippians. So you don't have to go far. You just have to flip a page or two. But in 127, it says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And he didn't say start this after you die. He says start it now so I can hear about it now. Paul, Paul he says you need to begin living in, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven now, so I can hear about it. I want to hear about your reports of how you're living. What does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? What does that even mean? Because he doesn't really explain himself here. Well, that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the service, okay? What does that mean? So you keep reading. So when you read a verse like that and you go, I don't know what this means, don't stop with that verse, Read the verses in front of it. Read the verses after it. Read the whole paragraph. Read the whole chapter. Read the chapter before it and the chapter after it. And if it's a little book like Philippians, you can just read the whole book. If you're a slow reader, it might take you 30 minutes to get through this book, but that would be a very slow reader. Most of you can do it probably in 10 minutes. You could read this whole book in one sitting. And when the, when the church at Philippi got this book, that's what they did. Somebody got up in church and they read this whole letter. All of it at once? Yeah, <laughs> they did. Nobody had watches yet, so they could do that, right? What is it? In the matter worthy of the gospel. Well, go down a few verses to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore... If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there are any consolation of love, as if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others, having the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here you said, what is a matter in a manner worthy of the gospel? 
Well, here it is. He expels it out for us. All you got to do is read down a few verses. Look at the words he's used. He says, any encouragement? Are you encouraging others? Consolation of love. Does your love console people? Does it console them? Does it build them up? Affection and compassion. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. With humility. Looking out for the interests of others. He says, not only of yourself. He said, you said, doesn't say you shouldn't look out for your own interests. He says, just don't look, make that your only interests. Look out for others too. It's like we're all on the same team. That we are one church united working for Christ. We all have different roles within the church. We're not all doing the same thing. You know, if, if we're all the praise team, I don't think we'd all fit up here. You know, and as, as, as it's been pointed out to me, you know, that you know, they don't want me to sing. They want me to run the sound system, okay? It's been pointed out to me more than once. Not directly, but they did it, you know, nicely. You know, when they come in, I'm in a choir, and they go, do you want to sing it? Hey, we need somebody to sing a solo. I'll do it. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? couple weeks later, hey, we need, you know, they're having trouble with the sound. Hey, do you want me to run the sound? Yes. Here's your sign. All right. <laughs> um, but we have different roles. We have different opinions. Can we survive different opinions? Can we have the grace to encourage and counsel and love and have compassion when we have different opinions about things that aren't about the gospel, about politics, or about procedures in the church, can, can we be united even though we have different opinions? We are to be united, and you see this in Paul's letters over and over, in Christ. As you read Paul's letters, how often do you see those two words together? In Christ. How often do we use that in our own lives? How often do we use that at a business meeting? In Christ. Are we doing the budget? In Christ. Are we voting for memberships, whether it's adding or removing? In Christ. Are we painting the walls in Christ? Are we teaching our classes in Christ? Whatever it is, in Christ. Old army phrases, one team, one fight. We're united. We're on the same team. We're fighting for the kingdom of God. We're fighting for the kingdom of heaven. And so we pray that we are in Christ as a universal church, our church with our sister churches in, in our association, with our sister churches in the state of Missouri, but also with our churches that are united across the world, that they may not have the word Southern Baptist on their placard, but they are still brothers and sisters in Christ. But also specifically here at Tower View, are we united in Christ, encouraging, 
loving, fellowshipping, having affection and compassion, united, intent on one purpose. So as we continue, so living in the kingdom of heaven begins now. That's the first of the three realities. The three realities that matter for those living in, as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. The second reality is this. Living in the kingdom of heaven on earth means suffering. Living in the kingdom of heaven on earth means suffering. Wait a minute. I'm out of here. Nope. Didn't sign up for that one. It's supposed to be all hunky-dory. You follow God and have enough faith, all bad things will stop happening to you. You won't get sick. None of your loved ones will get sick. You, you, you will be able to pay all your bills and then some. If you follow some TV preachers, that's what they, th that's what they say. I mean, they may not say it that explicitly, but that's what they're saying. That isn't what the gospel preaches. Look back at chapter 1. Verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about, about you all, because I, have had my, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's in prison. Paul is writing this letter from prison. What's he in prison for? What did he steal? Nothing. What porn did he look at? No, nothing. That wasn't why he's there. He's in prison because of Christ, because of what he preaches. Look down in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Where he mentions his imprisonment again. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. Read through the book of Acts. Not only does he get arrested numerous times, he is beaten by a crowd. He is stoned and left for dead, run out of town after town because of the gospel. Most of us haven't faced that. At the worst you get is, oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're one of those, not only are you a Christian, you're one of those born-again Christians. We get a label, or the evangelical Christians. You're one of those. That's the worst we get most of the time. But you might get a job where a boss is asking you to do something that ain't right, that's underhanded, that's unethical. And your choice is, do I do the unethical, do I do the ungodly thing? Or do I lose my job? What will you do? And maybe you have to stand up to somebody who's threatening you because of the gospel. There, there will be, and Jesus said this. He said this in the Beatitudes. You read through the, the gospels. Look at verse, uh, down in chapter, still in chapter one, to go down to verse 27. Now, I know I read it once already. I'm going to read again. I'm going to read a couple verses after it. 
Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you and that too from God. For it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experience the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So in verse 28, he says, don't be alarmed by what? Your opponents. And he's not talking about somebody looking for the same promotion you're looking for. It's not talking about somebody who's running against you when you're running for office. He's talking about people who are opposed to the gospel. He says, that's a sign to you. When people oppose you because of a gospel, that is a sign of salvation in you that people oppose you. We don't usually think of somebody opposing us as a, as a good thing. But Paul says, if people oppose you because of the gospel, that is a good sign. You're on the right track. You are doing what God has called you to do. And that too is from God. When people oppose you because of, because of the gospel, make sure that is the reason, because of the gospel, not because you're an annoying twerp, but because of the gospel, okay? Just because you have a bad attitude and people don't like you, that's not necessarily from God. When they oppose you because of the gospel, that is from God. And it has been granted to you for Christ's sake, Not only to believe in him, you to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. He's calling you to suffer. And he's talking about all, when you read this in scripture, it's talking about suffering. It's talking about persecution. I mean, it's not talking about diseases. No, because we all get that, whether you're a Christian or not. Tornadoes hit and hurricanes and earthquakes. They hit the godly and the ungodly. It falls on the just and the unjust. Cancer hits the just and the unjust. And we all know we're going to die someday. We just had one of our, our members die this past week, and we had to bury them. That's not what it's talking about. It's suffering for Christ's sake, for the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven. That is why. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering, which means I die, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Rejoice in your suffering because you're doing what God asked you. We don't see that so much in America. But some of our brothers and sisters in other countries, they see that every day. You're a Christian in a Muslim country, and you say Muhammad is not the prophet, Jesus is. Somebody can charge you with blasphemy, and you'd be arrested and thrown in jail right then. 
no freedom of speech. They don't have that in other places. In some Muslim countries, you just share the gospel with a Muslim. We'll get you thrown in jail. It's illegal. If this church was in China, we'd be breaking the law for a number of reasons. One, we don't have a picture of the president of China on our wall up here. Number two, nobody in the government approved my sermon. And number three, we are not sanctioned by the government. We're not properly registered. We'd be breaking all kinds of laws in China. And in some Chinese churches, they take, the government takes attendance at who's coming. And they use biometrics. Take a fingerprint or a retinal scan to see who's attending. We don't know what suffering for gospel is at the moment. Rejoice when you suffer. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 10, for I, I, may, I may know him and the power of his erection and the fellowship, the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. That doesn't sound very pleasing. In order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead, the fellowship of his suffering. Who's Jesus suffering? Did Jesus suffer? Yes. What did he do to deserve it? Nothing. He didn't sin. And yet he was still suffered and was executed and ridiculed. Thrown, he was thrown out of his own hometown. They didn't want to listen to him. His own hometown. And the conformed to his death. He died for God. These phrases don't fit the American dream. The kingdom of heaven is, is greater than the American dream. Citizens of heaven have something greater than owning a house and having a retirement fund. Those are great, but they're temporary. Earthly comforts that most people in history and in the world today will never experience. Jesus never guaranteed such a dream. Jesus' only guarantee was eternity in heaven with him. And from the glimpse of heaven that we see in Scripture, it's far better than any American retirement plan. Heaven does not depend on the stock markets or interest rates. Heaven does not depend on the housing market. No matter how much suffering you face on this earth, heaven will make up for all of it. Compare your life on this earth, no matter what country you live in, heaven is gain. Never forget that. Our key verses, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we are eagerly wait for Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power he has even to the subjects of all things to himself. So living in the kingdom of heaven on earth means suffering. That's the second of the three realities that matter for those living in the kingdom of heaven. The third reality is this. Living in the kingdom of heaven has benefits. Heaven is gain. 
Look back at chapter 1, verse 20, 21 again. Well, 20, we haven't looked at that one. 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live in, on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Heaven is gain. Being physically with Jesus Christ is gain. It's better. If someone threatens you with your, with your life, will you have the strength to say, why are you threatening me with heaven? Heaven is better than all the riches of this world. Heaven is better than political freedom. Heaven is better than even family. Paul struggled with wanting to stay on earth versus dying and going to heaven. He didn't have a suicide wish, but he knows how great heaven is. He knew it was great when he wrote this letter. He knows it much better now. He's been there a while. But to him, he probably just got there. Look at 419. Yes, we're still in the Philippians. So flip a page or two. In 419, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Your retirement fund will run out. Your health will fade. Your friends and family will die around you. You will mourn. America will cease to exist for some reason or another. Foreign invasion, economic collapse, civil war, a natural disaster like a super volcano or asteroid, who knows? I can come up with all kinds of ways. Any of these could happen tomorrow or maybe 100 years from now, after we're dead and gone. The kingdom of heaven will survive it all. The kingdom of heaven will survive nuclear war. It will survive asteroids and economic collapse and pandemics and climate change. It will survive it all. As American Christians, we have more in common with communist Christians than with godless capitalists. Let me say that again. We have more in common with communist Christians than godless capitalists. As Americans, we have more in common with our brother in Christ who is living in a dirt floor hut than our agnostic neighbor living with air conditioning. As Americans, we can communicate better with our brothers and sisters in Christ who speak Urdu than the sister who worships Mother Earth but speaks perfect English. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power he has, that he has even to subject all things to himself. God will do all this in his power. He does not need the American military might. He does not need our help. We need the smartest engineers and the finest tools to build rocket engines. 
that only operate for a few minutes. God spoke, and our sun and all the stars were created as he designed them to be. No blueprints required. God does not need our wealth. All the gold on earth is just asphalt in heaven. He only asks for our faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. I didn't say knowledge. Satan knows who Jesus is. He, Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God, and they ain't getting him anywhere. He has no faith in Jesus. He has no obedience to Jesus. Living in the kingdom of God has, on earth has benefits because we have these three realities that matter for those living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven begins on earth for us. As children of the king of kings, you have entered his service. Just as much as I did when I raised my right hand and said the oath of office that I needed as an officer. Yet because of this sinful world, there is pain and suffering, wars and persecutions. Someday soon, we will not be part of this world anymore. Your death is near. It may not be tomorrow. It may be 50 years from now. But you must choose this day whose kingdom you will reside in. Do you choose life by surrendering your will and your way to your Savior, Jesus Christ? Or do you reject the kingdom of heaven to an eternity of pain and suffering with Satan and hell? The kingdom of heaven begins now. Choose to repent. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus today. If you've already entered the kingdom of heaven because of your repentance and belief, then choose to keep following Christ, to keep repenting of your sins, to keep seeking the will of God in your life. The book of Philippians has much to say about living the will of God today. Read it again. Go home. Go read it. All of it. Not just the verses I picked out. Following Jesus today does that mean you will never suffer again. Paul was never imprisoned until he began following Jesus. Paul was never physically beaten until he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was executed as a perfect man. Prepare, be prepared to suffer for your faith. Your citizenship matters to, to God for salvation. Because of your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, it matters today how you live. Your citizenship matters to God. Let's pray. Lord God, you're a mighty and a precious Lord. Help us to live as your citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to be your servants, your soldiers, your workers in the kingdom of heaven. Not because you need us, because we need you. And so help us 
to make our citizenship matter in our lives each and every day. Whether that's turning to Christ for the first time or just resolving to continue to follow to serve Christ all the days of your life. We pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.